Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hello, everybody, and I'm so happy that you're going to be joining me today and my guest, Stephen Panis. Stephen is a motivational and inspirational speaker. He's a sports marketing executive, and he's the author of a book called Walk On, and you're going to be hearing a lot about that. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Hi, Marcia. Thanks for having me. Oh, it, it is my pleasure. I've, I've enjoyed getting to know you prior to going on the air. You are truly an inspiring man. But because other people haven't been part of that conversation, I'd like you to just take a, just a moment or two and please tell our audience about yourself. Okay. Uh, my name is Stephen Panis, and uh, uh, I was born in upstate New York, small town Victor, New York. Went to the University of South Carolina for undergraduate and then law school at Loyola University in New Orleans. I met my wife in New Orleans. Uh, My first son was born in New Orleans, Jake. Uh, Subsequently moved around the country a little bit, and uh, our second son arrived to us in Las Vegas, Nevada, Liam. And we now live in Fairfield, Connecticut, and we have a foster daughter, April, and uh, two dogs. (laughs) A full household, and yes, you know, people can probably recognize a bit of an accent there, which I absolutely love. I'm going to spell Stephen's name for all of you that are listening right now, so that if you want to visit his website, it'll be easy for you to find it. So Stephen is spelled S-T-E-P-H-E-N. His last name is spelled P-A-N-U-S. If you type all of that and hit .com, you're going to be right over to his website. So I wanted you to just know how to do that because I think this is a website you're going to want to visit. So I mentioned that you're an author. What inspired you to become an author and write your book, Walk On? Well, um, this book was initially written from a a place of survival. Um, In August of 2020, my elder son, Jake, who was 16 years old at the time, a rising junior in high school, went away for a weekend with his girlfriend and her family um, to Block Island, a small island off Rhode Island. It was his first girlfriend. They had been dating just less than six weeks. She was a year older. Um, And her her mom promised us it would be, you know, safe family fun. In fact, her last text to my wife was nothing to worry about. I'll be watching the kids. Um, But two days later, I'm, Early Sunday afternoon, we received a phone call from the mother that there'd been an accident. Jake was injured, but there were no other details. My wife, Liam, my wife's name is Kelly, and my son Liam and I immediately jumped into our car. We began to speed towards Rhode Island. It's about a two-hour drive from our home in Connecticut. We were about 12 minutes into the drive when the phone rang, and my wife's phone in it picked up on speakerphone in the car, and it was a doctor from Rhode Island, and he introduced himself, and then he paused and said, I'm very sorry, but I just pronounced your son dead. Oh, God. 
So it's not that. Oh, that just that runs chills through my body. Even though I yeah. knew you were going to say this, that I just can't imagine how you were able to take a deep breath. Go on. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's fine. It's um, it is haunting to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. later that that evening, though, the details of Jake's death surfaced. Uh, he was a passenger in a vehicle that was operated recklessly and went off the road. The driver was arrested on multiple charges, including reckless driving and driving under the influence. And the driver, sadly, was Jake's girlfriend. <gasps> um, two weeks shy, 17 years of age. She, wait, I, wait, I wait let me back you up. Let me back you yeah. up. Did you say she also passed in this accident? No, she, Jake Uh-oh. was the only one but that she passed. Was the was, she was the driver. She was the driver. Oh, my gosh. Okay, go on. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, there were three other uh, boys in the car. One was in was injured, and he was airlifted off the island, and he survived, and everybody else was okay. Um, Jake was the only one who died. Um, as you can imagine, the news was just soul-crushing, and um, it felt like your life imploded in that moment. Everything went black for me. Um, a part of me died with Jake. I instantly mm-hmm. felt it. And um, for his younger brother, Liam, who was 11 at the time, it was it was obviously particularly hard. He didn't just lose a mother. He lost parts of his mother and his father. Um, so it was a trifecta of tragedy for young Liam. Um, and I don't need to tell you, Marsha, how sudden death can be absolutely traumatizing. We mm-hmm. unfortunately share that horrific experience, and I'm sorry about your loss of your beloved husband, Butch. Um, Thank you. Yeah. You know, um, I I don't I think that you're describing what could be any parent's nightmare, but I know that you've you've written this book of your son Jake, and that we're going to be talking more about him. So what? What was Jake like, and what made him so special? Well, Jake was, <laughs> where do I begin, mm-hmm. right? Jake was extraordinarily yeah. unique and authentic. He was, uh, from the minute he arrived on the planet, he came with so much energy, and mm-hmm. he was visually stunning. He had golden blonde curly hair, perpetual smile, um, electric energy. He was just magnetic. He, he was the type of kid that when he walked into a room, he lit it up. Visually, wow. energetically, you knew Jake was in the room. Um, he was the life of the party. He was the uh, the life of everywhere he went. And he was a natural gifted athlete. And his personality was that of someone. He wanted to lift people up, and he loved to laugh and spread joy. Um, just a really special young man. He When he found out he was going to have a little brother, he, he jumped off the couch in joy and <laughs> mean with ecstasy and just was just he was so happy to be a big brother yeah because what he is five years older than liam right yeah five years and it's like oh my goodness i'm going to have a little brother he just sounds like i mean i there are there are some really lovely pictures you mentioned his hair there's some really lovely pictures on the internet of him and uh i just what you're, what you're describing is just um, a beautiful young man. 
that, as you mentioned, just lit up the room. And I'm sure you can close your eyes and you can see that in your mind's eye, can't you, that he was able to do that? Yeah, I, I can. I mean, he, from, from an early age, Jake at age five was able to have conversations with adults. Um, <laughs> we took him everywhere. And he was mm-hmm. he was just very comfortable with who he was and loved to meet people. The more than merrier was his attitude. And he was just, um, you know, conventional wisdom says charisma is a gift, but transformational and charismatic leadership is about your ability to, to be authentic and to connect deeply mm-hmm. with others. And Jake had that in, he had that it factor in spades. And he, he really, I, I, I look back now and he just reminds us all that we're born with one of obligation and that is to be authentically who we are. And, and that's who Jake was. He was who he was. I, I, I love hearing you say that because for some people, they honestly need that as a reminder, especially with social media the way it is today and how we can present ourselves to people that we've never met. You know, this was way before Facebook and, you know, TikTok and all these different things that, that young people would use, not so much Facebook, but certainly the others. And I'm sure that for his classmates, and everyone that that knew him i mean it if it was it was august so it was during summer it was during summer vacation that he passed correct correct yeah they started school about 3 weeks later in, in september like probably like right around labor day which is when our school started it must have been so shocking for everyone that knew him at his school family i just i just can't imagine but you've taken that grief and you've you you have taken that to another level and now you are a motivational and inspirational speaker in addition to being an author of the book we're going to be talking about how did this unfold and when was your first public speech how did how did that public speaking and all of that happen for you well um good it happened in 2021 September 2021 so a little over a year after Jake's passing I was honestly but that first year was incredibly complex and challenging and I was floundering I uh, my life lacked meaning and purpose um, he, I just um, was really struggling um, and, and I was in a very dark place in a place mm-hmm. I had never been I'm an optimist by nature but this really knocked me to the ground and I was struggling to kind of get up. Um, and then one day I read a quote from Aldous Huxley that said, experience is not what happens to a man, it is what a man does with what happens to him. And that mm-hmm. really kind of rattled my cage a little bit and got me thinking. And I realized kind of at that point in time I had a choice, right? I could stay huddled up in the darkness and, and just give up and quit or I could crawl and scrape and claw towards the light hour by hour, day by day, and find a way to lift myself back up and get back into the, the game of life and mm-hmm. uh, to find new meaning and purpose. And so it, it really started with that one speech, and that speech was derived from we, we established two scholarships in Jake's name to honor him and honor really his the way he lived, right, lifting people up and spreading joy. So the first scholarship um, was started in partnership with our church in Connecticut, and they do a mission trip 
to South Dakota, the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, uh, a particular part of it called Red Shirt Table, every summer. And Jake went on that trip his freshman year. The, the senior high youth group goes on that trip. So he, he went his freshman year, and he came home um, very motivated from going to that and having that experience mm-hmm. where he read the children and taught them life skills. But he also came home um, upset with the inequalities that he witnessed, and he wanted to make an impact there. And he was looking forward to going back in 2020, COVID canceled that, and then he died. So the first scholarship we created was in partnership with our church to help the children from Red Cloud Indian School who are from Red Shirt Table who want to go to college. We give them a college scholarship now. And we've, done, we've given away three to three young Lakota women who are in college now as a result over the last three years. And then mm-hmm. six months later, we started a scholarship in partnership with the University of South Carolina where I went and where Jake wanted to go and follow in my footsteps. We started a scholarship there in partnership with the football team, the athletic department, and the university. And it's called the Jake Panis Walk-On Scholarship. But they're both called that now. Um, and that awards walk-on football players who share some of the same leadership qualities and athletic um, talents that Jake had and earn themselves a a full scholarship um, as selected by the coach. And again, we've awarded three scholarships there in the last three years, so six total. And when I went down, the first scholarship that I awarded was September 2021, and I went to the University of South Carolina, and I I met with the entire team, staff, um, and gave a speech uh, Mm. prior to awarding the scholarship. And um, when I gave that speech, I really channeled Jake because Jake was the public speaker. Jake was the one comfortable being out in front of people and, oh. you know, the center of attention. And I was the guy who represented athletes and stars and whatnot, but I was the one behind the camera orchestrating things for clients. So I, I, I didn't really seek the camera on the spotlight. Um, so that was kind of new for me, but I really felt like Jake was there holding me up, and I shared a lot about who Jake was, and I tried to inspire those young student athletes to not take anyone or anything in life for granted and mm-hmm. to um, lift each other up and to love each other as teammates and just be, be positive and optimistic. And I shared a lot about what Jake stood for. And then I awarded the first scholarship to Matthew Bailey, a, a walk-on from uh, DeLand, Florida. And he was a long snapper and he earned the scholarship and he came down and gave me a hug and I looked him mm-hmm. in the eyes and I just saw Jake in his face. And I saw the joy in his face, and, and it made me feel really good, and it made me feel like maybe I've got purpose and meaning again if I can maybe father other young student-athletes like Jake sure. and take Jake's, take Jake's energy and bring it to others and pass the baton. And now a part of Jake is with Matthew um, as he goes on in his life, and all the other scholarship winners kind of – get the baton and have a responsibility now to carry on that legacy of love and light and helping others. I, I, and I have, so I just, from there I started. Go ahead. Go, mm-hmm. oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 finish your thought, please. I was going to say from there I just started speaking to more athletic teams, high school and college, church youth groups, and I recognized that I had an opportunity to positively impact children, um, share my experience, Encourage them, obviously, to never get into a vehicle with someone that's been drinking and driving. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, to inspire them to live a, a life that was noble and that had purpose and meaning and that ensured that they gave back to the community 
and um, and did the best I could to just to be good, kind, caring human beings. And it really didn't matter if you were a boy or a girl athlete because it, it applied to everybody, didn't it? Oh, no question. It transcends gender. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. It transcends grief. The message goes way beyond grief. Grief is just a form of adversity. And so the, really mm-hmm. the message was in student-athletes certainly coming uh, face-to-face with a lot of forms of adversity, you know, whether they lose their starting role, maybe they suffer a season-ending injury and they got to battle through that. Um, they, they have normal problems. A girlfriend or boyfriend breaks up with them. They're, mm-hmm. uh, they have a, a, a loved one die. They have a loved one suffer a medical diagnosis that's not good or falls prey to addiction. So adversity comes in so many different shapes and sizes, and we're all suffering on some level. So it's really just trying to help them understand that there is a pathway and that hope and resilience and grit and integrity and accountability, all these positive character traits and attributes are within each one of them, and they just need to source them mm-hmm. and to endure and to battle through whatever life is going to throw at them because life will throw stuff at you at least certainly at times when you least expect it true so would you say that this is your purpose and if so when did you discover that about yourself i discovered it that day september wednesday september september i think it was 21st 2021 or 22nd it was um when I left that meeting room and all the players came up to me and, you know, bump fists, shake hands, hugs, talk to the coaches, and, and then I hung out with Matthew, the, the um, scholarship recipient, a little bit and got to know him. And then I walked out of the building and I just literally started bawling. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I just felt Jake mm, come bet. over me. I bet. I bet. Was when you Matthew that that's the young man's name that you mentioned? Yes, Matthew Matthew Bailey was the first recipient. Was his, were his parents there when he got that scholarship? They weren't. The um, he oh, called them via cell phone, and I, I listened mm-hmm. to the conversation at, at their uh-huh. joy in learning they were about to save a lot of money. And uh, oh boy, <laughs> I did. They did come in. They came in a few days later for the, the football game on Saturday, and I had a chance to meet them that Saturday morning. And they couldn't have been any more gracious and grateful for um, the opportunity that we bestowed upon their son. Sure. And, and Matthew understood the, the, the responsibility that he took on. He really embraced wanting to know more about Jake, and, and that meant a lot to me. And that's when mm-hmm. I knew that oh, I, think I, can, I think I can do something here. I can impact more children. And it did give me purpose and meaning in a lot of different ways, like I mentioned earlier. Um, and it led me ultimately to start writing um, in earnest. Yeah. It, it, you know, um, there's something to be said for writing. Um, and a lot of, I mean, you know, a lot of people that have lost loved ones or have a very serious thing that's happening for them, journal writing has really become um, a way of processing And in your book, Walk On, you really share the intimate details of your grief over losing Jake um, because it it was so sudden. So I'd like to know, how did you begin that transformative journey of turning your pain into purpose? 
Oh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, it, it is the process, right? It doesn't happen like, oh, overnight. Right. Um, I started by writing what I really was like a goodbye letter to Jake. Um, okay. And, and then it evolved into um, looking. I had a tradition with my boys where I wrote them uplifting, positive, inspiring quotes and messages, some from very famous people, some from anonymous, and sometimes they were my own messages. And they were based on character traits and values and um, attributes that um, Mm -hmm. I believed were important. But when Jake died, um, my belief system was shattered, and I had to decide um, what I – how was I going to make sense of what I had preached to my boys, what I had modeled Mm -hmm. as the truth. And everything fell apart. It seemed like there was no truth. And I had to make sense of what I wrote Jake and Liam. And more importantly, for Liam's sake, I had to show them that, show him that there isn't a lot we control in life. But we did hold our future in our hands, in the palm of our hands. And I had to show Liam there was a pathway forward. And if I couldn't do that, then I wasn't going to be much of a father. And so I went back and revisited a lot of the messages I wrote to my sons. My wife saved all the, a lot of the posted sticky notes, um, which I hadn't realized at the time. And, um, and I started reviewing them, and I had to make sense of them in the context of grief. And I started from the letter. It evolved into um, revisiting these character traits that I shared with my boys and trying to ensure mm-hmm. That I, my goal was to impart wisdom and insights into their developing heart, mind, and soul. And now I had to kind of do it for myself. And so sure. it, was, it was all, the tables were turned. It was staring me in the face and I had to make sense of it. And that's really kind of how the book evolved and how I turned pain into purpose is I, I read a lot and then I just forced myself to self-reflect and examine my life where I was was not a place I would have ever chosen, but that was my predicament. And there was pretty much, I was at a crossroads and at a crossroads, you have two choices. You can tower and go into the darkness or you can move to the light. And I chose to move to the light and with whatever it took. And like I said earlier, I'm, I was always an optimist by nature. And I, I have gratitude for my parents and fostering that and encouraging that no matter the circumstances. But this challenged all that obviously, but because sure. I was optimistic I was able to hold on to hope no matter what, and um, that was a big start of it, just having hope is a foundational pillar that we all need. And from there, my resilience muscle kicked in, and Hmm. I could hear Jake in my head saying, let's go, Dad, what are you doing? Um, Get up. Let's get get moving. And so um, it just evolved from there. I started writing, and it came really naturally, and before I knew it, I had a lot written, and I thought, well, maybe there's a book here that could help others. Mm-hmm. And here we are. The book comes out in two months, and hopefully it yes. can help others. That's that's one of the goals. I, I wanted to revisit something you just said because I think you, you mentioned that a central part of this book is about tradition that you have with the boys, um, and meeting, you know, and leading a noble life and filled with purpose with these sticky notes. So when did that tradition begin, and can you share about it and why it meant so much to you? Yeah, I, I started it when Jake was old enough to read, so probably around five. And mm-hmm. 
I, I just thought I knew at that point how much, um, how 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 vital it was to be optimistic and positive in life. And I I wanted to share that with my boys, and I wanted them to be inspired and and have as much wisdom, and I wanted to share as much as I possibly could as a father with my boys. So. I started writing these messages and I would affix them to the kitchen counter or Jake's lunchbox or paper, brown paper lunch bag. Mm-hmm. And you take them to school every day and you'd read them and we'd talk wow. about them sometimes. Other times we wouldn't talk about them. I would just thought, I was planting seeds basically. Sure. And I wanted them to germinate and I wanted my boys to know that there is a pathway to living a life of purpose and meaning and one that's noble. Um, and, if they could embrace these truths and mm-hmm. inv- incorporate them into their daily lives, even as young as age five, um, then they, they would be ahead of the game. And yes. the custom continued with Liam when he became old enough to read. And um, it's kind of like a roadmap to what truly matters in life is how I think of it. And I never realized in the moment, what I never realized in the moment, however, was how my faith and optimism was challenged in Jake's death and um, and I, how I had to then make sense of these myself and, and really question, are these as meaningful as I once preached to my boys? And um, mm-hmm. if, if they are, then, then I need to be there for Liam. And so I then picked up again and started writing them for Liam uh, shortly after Jake passed. But they were a little bit different. They dealt more in, with grief um, and overcoming struggle and adversity. Um, but it, it was important to me because it, it meant I was going to raise good boys that would evolve into good young men and give right. back to their communities and be successful in life. And being successful doesn't mean you have more. Um, in fact, one of the ones I taught, Jake, was humanity is about being more, not having more. And that couldn't be more true today in my life um, than ever. You know, you you answered a question that I was going to ask you before I asked, and which was, have you did you continue to write these post-it notes to Liam? Which I knew the answer was going to be yes. But what I would be curious in knowing, did either one of the boys ever write a post-it note to you? They didn't write on the post-it notes, but they would leave. Um, uh, Jake would write notes, and Liam did a few times. Jake, Liam's. Uh, less of a, uh, a writer, but mm-hmm. they both have left notes for me that I have held on to, and I have one I from uh, from Jake that's affixed to a cabinet that I look at every day. Hmm. Well, you taught them in a the very. It, it, that's but the, who knew at that time that that was going to be such an important memory? But you taught them some really good processes, and just you know, just like you mean, you know. I have post-it notes all over the place to remind me about things. But um, I want to go back to one thing perhaps you could tell us about, and that was what was some of the best advice you were given about surviving this traumatic grief when when Jake died? Well, um, that's a really good question. Um, Be easy on yourself. Okay. Was was one of the um, first things. Um, never give up hope. My okay. our therapist, who has been doing grief therapy for over forty years and is renowned internationally, 
he coined a phrase, his name is Mitch Davidowitz, he's from Boston, and he's just a fantastic human being. He coined the phrase vigilant mercy, and he encouraged us to use that and apply that not just to others, but to ourselves individually and to, my, to each other, my wife and I, um, because you're so broken. When, right. you, when you lose a child and you go through traumatic um, grief like that, you are absolutely shattered into a thousand, if not a million pieces. Um, you may look like yourself to others on the outside, but inside you're battered and gutted and broken, and you don't feel like yourself at all. In fact, I feel like my life has been split into a two-act play, life mm-hmm. with Jake and now life after Jake. Um, so Vigilant Mercy was big because, as you know, Marsha, people may mean well, but they say some of the – they say some things that can be received as hurtful when you're grieving. Right, um, right. You know, well, God needed another angel. And I was, you know, it's like, well, we could have taken your child, not mine. <laughs> right. Is <laughs> what yeah. you're thinking, right? It's just like, right. oh, is that what you're going to say to me? Um, so it was having vigilant mercy, knowing that, you know what, people don't know what to say. And I, and I probably didn't know what to say before I lost my son to someone who lost their child. So right. vigilant right. mercy is having that compassion to know they mean well, but they don't know what to say or they don't know how to say it. And so mm-hmm. just being able to acknowledge that and, and not get upset and not get bitter or more bitter and angry. And, um, and lastly, I, I learned that Jake isn't defined by how he died, but rather how he lived his life. Absolutely. And, and I focus on that because that's positive, and that's mm-hmm. about me having a future. The only future I have with my son now, Marsha, is where I take him. And so I take him everywhere, obviously, but giving out these scholarships, uh, writing this book sure. and the journey that it started to take me on already. Jake is going on this journey with me. There's a part of him that's still in me. There's a part of me that died when he died. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, I lost the future with him. So the only future I do have is making sure that his legacy of loving and living life to the fullest and helping lift up others endures forever. And I'm sure that's exactly what he would want from you. And you know that. And there's some comfort in that, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, yeah but I, I think that's, that's what, if he was here, that's what he'd be doing. So I'm just kind yeah. of carrying on his work. That's that vigilant mercy you're it. talking about. Sure. So... As somebody that, that's written about this and talks about this, what challenges do individuals often face when attempting to move forward or walk on from their grief and their suffering? How can they overcome these obstacles? What advice? How, what, what, do you, what do you help them think about? Well, in the early phases of losing a child, um, it, the the world becomes so dark that, like I mentioned earlier, you really just have to hold on to hope that there is going to, whenever and wherever that happens, that there there will be better days down the road, and that you um, you have to practice self care, mm-hmm. um, which is really important. That means being a little bit selfish, saying no to things that you don't want to go to. Um, you, you know, people are going to invite you to things, try to get you out. If you're not ready, you're not ready. And that's okay. Right. And in not putting any more shame or blame 
on yourself. Or judgment. Um, mm-hmm. Or judgment, yeah, exactly. Because yes. it's so easy to do. I mean, look, when you lose your child, no matter the circumstances, the first person you blame is yourself. Sure. It's shoulda, woulda, coulda. You, your mind is, our brains are built to understand logic and reasoning, and they seek out answers, right? And this does not have an answer, and it never will. So you're chasing your tail, looking for why. Why did this happen? Why did this happen to us? Why did this happen to Jake? You're never, I'm never going to get an answer. I can drive myself silly um, searching for that. And I think learning the big one I found, and it takes time. All this takes time. Let me stress sure. that. Grief is an individual journey. That's the most important thing. My wife and I share the same tragedy, but our journeys and our grief are completely different because they're individual journeys. And our coping, me- coping mechanisms are different. And how we express our grief is different. So just acknowledging that your grief is your grief and honor that. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Um, and it's not a linear journey. It's, there's ups and downs. There's phases, just mm-hmm. like everything else in life. Change is a constant. And your grief will change. Um, it doesn't, I'm going to carry my grief for my son to, the, to my final breath. I'm keenly aware mm-hmm. of that. Um, This is not like an injury or another form of adversity where there's a specific timeline. Oh, you broke your back. Um, Okay, in six months, you're going to be fully 100%. I'm never going to be 100%. And that's okay. I I own that. Um, How could I be? I'm missing a vital part of my life, right? My son is gone. Um, But I can still be the best whatever percentage is left of me. And, And that's what I have to do. And that makes total sense. And, you know, the interesting thing, and I think you know this, I know this, um, grief is not always a subject that many people are comfortable talking about. What would you like people to know about grief that maybe isn't commonly known or understood? Um, That our vulnerability is our strength. And Hmm. that means that it's okay to cry. That means it's okay to share your feelings. Um, That means it's okay to get help, have a therapist, a sounding board, someone. That means it's okay if if you need to go on an antidepressant or whatever it is that you need. Again, this is such an individual pathway. Yes, you're supported by others. Family and friends lift you up. But at the end of the day, in, in the beginning of the morning when you wake up, this is your journey. And only you... Nobody, there's nothing anybody can say that's going to completely assuage you and make you feel better. It's, but the answers that it do exist that will get you to a better place all reside within you. And you have to make a choice. And, and whenever you make that choice is when the, um, the transformation can kind of start. And there's no timeline to it. Like I said, everyone's is different. It may be four years for some people, ten years, or it might be two. Some people go right back to work. Um, I took eight weeks off from work. I couldn't even function. So it's, mm-hmm. it's really about um, being okay with, with um, feeling different because you feel totally different. And, sure. Um, my wife often says grief is her master. It beats, you know, kind of, it beats her down whenever it wants and however it desires, and you never know when, that, when grief is going to rear its head. And you can be triggered by the smallest of things when you're grieving. And then it's just overwhelming. The grief can feel overwhelming at times. And you just have to let that happen. And you need to, if you need to cry, cry. 
if you need to go sit in a quiet place, sit in a quiet place. I found nature to be very healing. So I spent a lot yes. of time outside in nature. Um, that worked for me. But again, what works for me won't work for everybody else. But the answers are all within ourselves. That's what's important. And you know, it's it's interesting because different. There's, I call them in parentheses, triggers. There's different. <clears throat> there's different triggers. I'm sure for you, the holidays, those first holidays after he passed. Maybe it's the smell of a certain food. Maybe it's uh, for me when Fleetwood Mac comes on the radio and she starts singing "Landslide." I mean, tears will well up in my eyes because Butch really yeah. loved that group. And that was a tribute to her father. And so for me, there are a lot of different triggers that, that have happened in my life. I, I would presume that that's the same for you, right? 100%. Um, C.S. Lewis has a quote. His absence is like the sky spread over everything. And that's Jake's footprint was so big. It was all over this town. There isn't a place that I go here where there isn't, I'm not triggered by a memory of Jake. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he just, he knew people from uh, generations. Like he, he had friends as old as 90 and as young as, you know, toddler. Um, he, he knew people all over. He played sports. So he had friends at other schools um, that mm-hmm. he competed against and travel soccer and all that in youth groups. So he belonged to three church youth groups. What teenage boy does that? And he had a reason wow. for one. One, one was our home church, um, and he loved the minister, Laura Whitmore, the associate minister, and um, they had a special relationship. And then um, he joined another church because they had a lot of girls um, that were in it. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. <laughs> so he went to that one, and a lot of friends were in that one too. And then another one offered a ski trip. So he went to that one too. That's mm-hmm. how Jake was, the more the merrier. And mm-hmm. he couldn't get enough of life. Um, so, yeah, there, triggers are everywhere. And, and that is definitely a hard part of this whole grieving process is mm-hmm. um, uh, avoiding them sometimes. And that's where the self-care comes in. Like if you know going to the grocery store is going to provoke you and, and you're already having a rough day, then maybe have, ask a friend to do your shopping. Sure. Um, you know, and that's where you lean on your friends and your support group because uh, it is – this is beyond challenging to emerge from losing a child or a loved one, um, but a child is a, it's out of order, out of the natural order to lose a child. I'm not supposed to bury Correct. my children. There's, you know, Correct. And, so when you're in that darkness, um, you really got to gotta lean on those people that are there for you, and, and don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't feel bad about staying indoors for a week straight. If that's what you need, that's what you need. Sure. You know, when you're describing him, what a lot of a lot of words and I know words are important to you as they are to me, a lot of words come into my mind and one of the thoughts I have about him based on what you've said is I bet you would probably agree with this. He never met a stranger, did he? No. No, not no. Jake. No, he yeah. never met a stranger. Because that that kind of um, confidence, and that's not cocky confidence. That's just inner confidence of being comfortable with who you are. And for some people, they don't they don't learn that as a teenager. They don't know that until they're much later into their lives. Maybe some never learn it. But it sounds to me like he's he had that inner 
that inner beauty that was with him that just allowed him to be present at all times, whether it was with sports or with his church youth group or with his brother, his family, whomever. He he was very comfortable in his own shoes, wasn't he? 100%. He was very authentic, and he mm-hmm. knew who he was, and he lived his life like that. And that's, that's the best like. word I can use to describe Jake yeah. as authentic. And one, of the, one story I want to share, though, about like how, how Liam helped, got help with, with his pain. I, I did a little ritual with him um, where I took him out into a yard, and um, I had him bring out his buck knife, and we scraped some bark off of a tree, um, a little square patch. And I wanted him to understand how the power of healing works and that that, that tree would ultimately heal itself. And oh, so wow. Liam watched that metaphor. tree heal itself. Yes. And I remember a year later we went back out there and he looked at it and he's, he's like, look, Dad, it's getting this bark back. And I'm like, yep, and, and so are we. You know, as an adult, we and a parent, there there's that relationship. For, for Liam and his brother, um, the fact that you have been so deliberate and mindful about not only helping heal yourself, you and your wife healing each other, but recognizing that Liam lost his big brother. He's never he's never going to be there, and. Uh, not physically. Let's just put it that right. way. Not physically. They're not going to be. They're not going to be going um, skiing together. However, that bark, that 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 thought that you were able to do that. I mean, that just says so much about you as a dad. I mean, we're talking about how inspiring your son was, but obviously he got that from you and your wife. Because he watched, he was an observer. That's how he was able to do that. And um, I think that's what makes you an effective, inspirational speaker. I, I, I hope people invite you. I know I can tell you, if you were living, if you were in my neighborhood, I would be definitely inviting you to my Rotary Club to, to speak about your story. Do you get invited to, to go to places and speak? Yes, I I have, and hopefully the book leads to some more opportunities. Because again, it's just about helping people, and right. if that's what right. that's what my life is now, and that's my where I'm deriving purpose and meaning, mm-hmm. then that's what I need to do. I almost feel like I'm being called to do it. If that makes sense, yeah. it does. It makes total sense to me. Absolutely. You know, um, I, I have a lot of little – you talk about post-it notes. I should just read you all the ones that are in front of me right now. Um, but one of them is trust the process. And I think that this is something – and manage your expectations. You know, mm-hmm. love, forgive, share, productive, what is it? compassion, gratitude. Those are those are all words right now that are right in front of me, along with the picture of my husband, I might add. But I would just say that, you know, we're here now, and Liam is still watching you, and you're watching you. And we have to live, in my opinion, a life of purpose and process, because, frankly, that's what he would want for you. That's what he'd be doing if he was here. 
and you you I know you really love quotes and 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 messages. Um, do you have another inspirational quote you'd like to share? Sure. Um, here's one from uh, businessman W. Clement Stone, who lived to 100 years of age. Uh-huh. He said, there's little difference in people, but that little difference makes a big difference. The little difference is attitude, and the big difference is whether it's positive or negative. I love that yeah, one. Boy. I do, too. You know, it's it's interesting, you know, because we are friends on Facebook, I always do the word of the day. And and words really matter to me. They do. And it's easy to get frustrated at times. I had one of those experiences today on my Word document. The last 50 um, inputs that I did to this Word document were suddenly gone, even though it was automatically saved. And I thought, you've got to be kidding. Really? And then I thought, yeah. all right. So now what are you going to do about it? You want to just jump under the bed? Or you want to solve this because you turn around the one that's here. So you you have to sometimes take care of those things. You know, obviously you don't live alone, but you know, I it would be very interesting if your wife was on this call, if she would have a a a, a different uh, not different, but maybe her own perspective on the loss of her son. Um, I I just I can't imagine this. So when we think about this book. And, you know, i got to ask you, because I'm just really curious about that. So let, let me just say this. So when does the book actually become available where people are going to be able to purchase it? So so it, it officially launches on Tuesday, April 16th. It is available okay. now uh, for pre-order uh, via right. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books a Million, right. 30,000 other booksellers. So you can order right. it now if you want, and you'll get it on the 16th. But it's April 16th is the official launch date. Perfect. Well, here's my question, because I've seen the copy of this book. I've seen the cover of this book. i got to know, because I'm really curious, what was, the, what was the inspiration for the cover of this book? Because tell people that haven't, well, if they've read my website, they've seen the cover. But tell people about the cover of your book, because I think it's so fascinating. Sure. So the, um, the, the book is the color green, which... Right. Um, is the color of healing, and that's why I specifically wanted green. It, it implies green implies new beginnings, new growth, um, mm-hmm. life, rebirth, and renewal. And on the cover is a bear looking skyward, and the bear is significant because uh, there was a necklace that um, Jake wore that I had given my wife years ago. It was a pendant, bear pendant necklace. It was a um, Native American bear and a turquoise, and he wore that um, for about a year, and he lost it shortly before the accident. And so he wasn't wearing it when the accident happened, and the bear mm. represents um, courage, uh, strength, healing, and protection. And wow. so he wasn't wearing that. He had lost it. My wife and Jake and Jake's friends looked for it multiple times across he lost it somewhere across the street, and we live across the street from a library. So we were looking oh. in, the, in the grass and the weeds and the brush. We never found it. Jake wasn't wearing it. Jake dies. And then a month later, in September 2020, my wife and I were sitting at a beach in, um, in our town in the middle of the day, just staring out in nowhere, and there weren't many people at the beach. And my wife said, I wish we knew somebody with a, 
a metal detector and maybe they could help us find the necklace. And I hmm. just happened to turn to my right when she said that. And here's this guy walking oh. down the beach with a metal no. detector. So I, I turned to my wife and I said, like that? And she got up and <laughs> ran into him. She told him the story. And he said he'd be happy to help sometime. He gave her a card. And she came back. And we kind of just sat and read and stared out into the, the abyss. And then... 30 minutes later, we hear this truck pull up behind us and screech to a halt. And he gets out and he's like, does now work? And we're like, uh, yeah. So we hopped, we packed up our stuff real quick, hopped into our car and, and followed him the, the short one mile back to um, the, the library across the street from our house. And we got out and he, we got on our hands and knees and started scruffing through the, the grass and the sure. dirt like we had done before. And he's working his metal detector. And then all of a sudden, my wife screams, I found it. And she pulled up her hand, clutching the bear. Oh, my God. So that bear has become a big, has become an icon in our family. And um, we, it kind of is the logo that represents the scholarship um, with that Red Cloud Indian School in South Dakota. We've had hats made. I wear a bear hat pretty much every day. Um, and wow. the scholarship winners at um, Red Cloud Indian School now get bear necklaces when they graduate. And I give the hats to the football players that when they win the award, the scholarship, and it's just the bear represents wow. everything, right? And so that the bear and the green, um, hopefully, speak about the renewal and the courage and hope for the future. Boy, you're not kidding. That's just you. You, made, you took my breath away. Um, how long? How long did it take you to write this book? About a year and a half. Okay. Yeah, it's a process, isn't it? I've talked to a lot of writers. Everybody has their own style. Some people are journal writers. Some people just get out the computer and they just start typing. Other people will just have segments. Did you have a – this was the first book book you've ever written, I'm I'm presuming. Is that right? Yeah, it's a process, like you said. And writing about such a – um, traumatic tragedy um, uh-huh. made me kind of stop and start a lot. I could only I, I could bet. only take so much, so uh-huh. there was a lot of stopping and starting, letting it sit, coming back, and I think the first draft was really essentially almost like I just puked up everything that I needed to kind of get <laughs> out, and then oh, then I had to you know cut a lot and and hone uh-huh. it and make it coherent. But it was a process. But as it unfolded, it 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 turned from painful to um, therapeutic. Wow. Yeah, I imagine. I, I would imagine that that's that's very true. So the book. I mean, I know that it's going to be out pretty soon. But um, what do you want people to take away from reading this book? That's a uh, that's a really good question. I think I want people to take away that um, that th- there is a pathway from pain to purpose, and that we all suffer and grief and adversity. There are seemingly everywhere, more so, more so than ever in, in today's world. And there, these are universal concepts that cause many to lose hope. Um, but you can't lose hope, and don't ever lose hope. I put hope on the. The Maslow's hierarchy of needs starts with at the bottom of that hierarchy is 
water, food, shelter. Um, and I put hope right there at the bottom. I think it, I think he left that one out. I think we all need mm-hmm. hope. And it, it's mm-hmm. right there at the foundational um, basis of that hierarchy. Um, and the values and traits I write about exist in all of us. So every person has the capacity within themselves to uh, source these traits and values and implement them into their lives and cause positive change and to become the best version of themselves. And that we all suffer in some manner and and no matter what happens or how it happens, we all have to walk on in our lives because life only moves in one direction, forward. Mm -hmm. Right. You're absolutely right. Um, Are you going to be having um, some events, some book signings and things like that um, and talking about this as as the book gets ready to be released? Yeah, so I'm going to be going down to South Carolina uh, for the initial book tour. I'll be going through Charleston, South Carolina, um, holding a book signing there at Buxton Books on King Street on uh, Sunday, April uh, 20th or 21st, I'll be holding a book signing the day before at Columbia, South Carolina at the game day store next to the stadium right before the spring football game. Mm-hmm. Then I'll return to Columbia on the, for Tuesday, the 23rd for a book signing at uh, all good books in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, and then I'm doing a speaking event in Charleston when I'm down there. And then I'm coming home to Connecticut, and I've got a couple book signings and author talks planned up here in, uh, through May, and, and I'm in discussions with some other communities. And hopefully I'll get out west. i got some friends that have offered to throw me a book sign in Malibu. So nice. it'll come out your way, Marsha. Wait, did you say Malibu? Yeah. You did. Oh, my goodness. You have to let me know if, if you find yourself to the west coast. Um, please, please keep Please keep please keep that in mind, um, and I would imagine that people that are listening to this, that for a variety of reasons, would want you to be a speaker at an event or something like that. And I will make you know, as I mentioned to you um, and our listeners, I I do have your um, a website available. It is hyperlinked on my blog that people will be able to read. And, you know, we, we have just a few remaining moments. And I guess what I'd like to know, this is just sort of a sidebar, but we kind of started by learning a little bit about you personally, so this is kind of on the personal side as well. When you're not working, what do you really enjoy doing that balances out your life? What, what, what do you enjoy doing? Uh, being with my family, first and foremost, but uh, I also paint. Um, okay. So I, but I, I haven't painted in a little bit, and um, I like um, being in nature. Like I said, my wife and I do walk a lot. Um, I play basketball with my son in the driveway a lot when it's warm out. Okay. Right now it's a little too cold in Connecticut sure. for that. Um, you know, my my kids play sports. Uh, April, our daughter, is a wrestler and a uh, rugby uh-huh. player, so I just she's a two-time National All-American, Prep All-American in wrestling, and I went to her really? tournament this past weekend in watched her wrestle and compete and she came in second and just I, I derive a lot of pleasure from watching my kids enjoy life and being curious about life and trying to um get the most out of it um mm-hmm. I, my wife and i garden in the in the spring and summer where we like to be out with nature and plant and move plants around we're always 
you know, working on the yard. So I enjoy sure. that and enjoy being at the beach. We live near a beach, so we, we go to the beach a lot in the summer. Um, and like to travel. In Connecticut. In Connecticut, right? Yeah, yeah. In okay. Fairfield, Connecticut. So, Okay, so I, I, I was very fortunate after uh, Butch passed. I spent a lot of time um, on the eastern seaboard, especially during fall foliage, which is indescribable if you've lived on the west coast and you have no idea what that looks like. So I, I've I've been to Bristol, Connecticut. Where is was that on? Is that on the coast also? I can't remember. No, the Bristol's more inland near Hartford. Okay. And, and okay. Fairfield's right on the coast. It's south of I-95, so it's it's one of those coastal towns. And we, we're I lucky see. enough to have five beaches. Um, nice. And that's one other thing I would mention. I think a big part, too, of recovering from something like traumatic injury or, or death is, is gratitude. Having gratitude for what you do have. Absolutely. It's easy to look at what we don't have. And I, when I was able to finally look at what, I did have. I still had a wife and another son, and now we have a foster daughter that I don't even use the word foster, really. She's our daughter. Um, right. And having gratitude for what we do have is, is, is very important, and I think recognizing that and honoring that will help you become more positive in the way you live your life and how you um, approach um, whatever circumstances befall you. I, I totally support what you just said. I, I think when we live a life of gratitude, and it's something that I talk about out loud before I get out of bed in the morning, um, even if it might be just gratitude for a comfortable night's sleep, whatever that might be, however that looks to whoever you are, I have to hear it. I have to feel it. I have to say it. I mean, I would never be podcasting if my circumstances in life were different. But because I didn't have a choice, just like you didn't have a choice, you know, I've, I've made purpose in my life. And by, by being able to share people's stories, and, and you, you know, what you, which you'll never know really fully, is who you've touched and what that might have meant to somebody, because maybe you'll never know that you'll never know you you'll never know, but that's the beauty of letting people know about what you've been through, what you do i mean you're you're already a publicist anyway and and you 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 know you understand these things, and you know i could I could visualize you doing a TED talk, I could see you on the stage with that microphone inspiring every single person in that audience about your life and and how you have found meeting um, with the tragic loss of your son. It's it's just remarkable, truly. I appreciate your kind words, Marcia. I I, I mean that. I I do really mean that. And I, I think that when people are able to purchase this book and recognize they can also support the scholarship. They don't, I mean, they can buy the book. Sure. That would be great too, but people can also support you in multiple ways. And I'll make sure that people understand that when they visit your beautiful website. But I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being so open on a subject that is still raw and that you're able to be so authentic i guess that's that's what i hear from you 
that you are authentic and that and Liam still needs you and your wife still needs you and you need you. <laughs> Let's not forget that. It starts with you. You can't give if you don't have something inside to give and you do. And if sometimes it's the you don't even do it for the getting. You do it for the giving, correct? Oh, 100%. Yeah, it makes you feel good when you're able to help others. You bet. You bet it does. Well, I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Stephen, for spending this hour with me, for sharing um, a very poignant story. And I wish you and Kelly and Liam and your your what was what's your foster daughter's name? I'm sorry. April. April. Well, yeah. I guess April will be here before we know it. <laughs> but that was that was just silly. Um, but <laughs> just thank you, thank you, thank you for allowing me to be silly as we say goodbye because this has just been a wonderful time spent with my new friend. And Stephen, I I do consider you my new friend. So so thank right you back so at very you, much. Thank you, my right friend. Back at okay, you. everybody. This is this is the one, two, three, the third uh, Monday in February. Uh, everybody, be well. I have a show again next week, and I love what I do. And clearly, you can tell Stephen loves what he does. So goodbye for now, everybody. Have a great week. Hello, Saver. Whether you're saving for that trip to the tropics or saving for an emergency, now is the time to take advantage of Wells Fargo's savings options. Wells Fargo offers savings accounts that can help you save towards your goals. So, what are you saving for? Visit a Wells Fargo branch or wellsfargo.com save to open a savings account today. Wells Fargo Bank N.A. Member FDIC. 